show. Yeah, the important thing is just scare yourself. You should do that once a day. Yeah. Let's scare ourselves again today. Scare ourselves silly. Like silly geese in goose suits. How come we never say the name of the podcast anymore? This one? Yeah. The Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Good Time Podcast? Yeah, the only podcast that... Scrawled on walls and carved into trees. And Sigmund Freudiates. That identifies, biographies, and caramelizes. All of the figures on the cover of 1967's Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Today's episode, today's episode, we're taking a little left turn. I mean, we're still going to go left to right, but we've been doing two at a time. And I think we decided we're going to just do one at a time now. Yeah, it's more room to breathe. Exactly. Let the podcast breathe. Take a deep breath. Take the biggest breath of the Now that we're at Golden, Ac- Golden Ox Studios, I wish this was called Golden, Golden Axe Studios because Golden Axe brings back a lot of really fond memories from you're, my childhood. You're saying eggs? Or Golden Axe. Axe. Golden Axe. Yeah. Like the body spray? It was a hack and slash uh, fantasy adventure game where you'd run around as either a barbarian, a sexy lady who's almost naked. She has a sword. I know it's when you were. I was the dwarf. I was always the dwarf because he had the axe. On the cover, the barbarian had the axe. But when you actually play the game, he has the sword. When you actually play the game? (laughs) Never heard of this. What system was that for? It was an arcade game, but oh, it was okay. uh, I think it was made by Sega, and it ended up being a classic Genesis title. That's where most of us know it from. Mm-hmm. There were two sequels. Golden Axe. <laughs> never. But we're talking about Golden Ox. Golden Ox Studios here in Tremont. 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 A little... Uh, just a stone throw from Cleveland, Ohio. Is it in Cleveland, technically? No, I don't think it is. I think it's like Everything's a, a in borough. Cleveland. They're all suburbs. Suburb. Suburb. The mail will still get to you. If you put Cleveland, the mail will get to you. It doesn't matter where you are, as long as you're not, like, in Akron, you know? Or Cuyahoga Falls. But I feel like within 20 minutes... Of any suburbs surrounding Cleveland. You could say that you're in Cleveland. The mail will get to you. Moon over Parma. (laughs) Make sure my mail gets there. But yeah, we're here and the cameras are on. Well, they're on, but they're out. They're definitely in the room. And they're pointing directly at us. Which is kind of creepier if they're off. Because it's like a blind person just standing there right in front of you, just staring at you. And, and there is a blind person just staring at us as well. <laughs> Let's not, not mention him. And all the statues and the taxidermy. Every time I turn my head away from that one statue right there, the one with the, uh, with the carrot, every time I turn my head, it's like slightly posed differently. It's creeping me out. The carrot seems to be deteriorating, too. Like there's less and less of it every time I turn. Is he eating it? It's impossible. Couldn't be. 
We've lost the thread. We're talking about H.G. Wells today. So we're just doing one, H.G. Wells, uh, which was a uh, TV show on the Home and Garden Network about putting wells into, into your H- apartments. Gee. Sorry, that's what I thought you were going to say. What was I going to say? Nothing. H.G. TVs? Yeah. <laughs> Put a well on the TV. It's just a picture of a well. It's actually just the, the shot from The Ring. Yeah. The well from The Ring the on an HG. Yeah. No, that's extra. <laughs> HG Wells was uh, a little extra himself. Um, he was born in uh, 1866 in Kent, England, uh, back in uh, back on September 21st. And he died uh, years later. A lot of years later, 80 years later, um, October 13th, uh, he would have been 109 on the day if he was there for the picture, however that goes. But he was a novelist, uh, novelist in short stories, pretty much the father of science fiction and utopian and um, not so much dystopian, more utopian uh, stories. Talked about um, tanks and space travel and nuclear weapons. Uh, satellite TV, even a thing you can kind of compare to the World Wide Web, the Internet. He he thought of all these things before they happened. Uh, time travel, the the big one, most probably known, probably well, best known for um, the time machine. Yeah, if it wasn't for H.G. Wells, there would be no Terminator franchise. No. Or, you know, Back to the Future. I guess so, yeah. yeah. Or anything that that does the time travel dance. Alien Invasions, also. War of the Worlds. Right. Kind of a big deal. Orson uh, Welles. Mm-hmm. Famous performance. Yeah. That was uh, in uh, 38. Uh, we'll get a little bit more into to that performance that he did. Uh, also, Invisibility. The Invisible Man. So, pretty good report card for the guy. Um... Before he was a writer, though, he studied biological engineering. Kind of lends pretty well to all the stuff he ended up doing, like the time machine, like I said, Invisible Man, War of the Worlds, Island of Dr. Monroe. Oh, sorry, not Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> Monroe. Can we see that movie? I want to I watch a movie about a crazy, deranged Marilyn Monroe. Just an island. Yeah, of- who's cloning, who's like cloning human beings with animals. If you're gonna make a clone, I know so that she could have new furs, but she wants hybrid human animal furs. She wants the glossiest skin. She it's doesn't like, have to put the Vaseline on every time. It's like Cruella Deville meets The Island of Doctor Moreau, <laughs> starring Marilyn Monroe. H.G. Wells also had diabetes and started. Uh, it's not, it's not supposed to be a joke. <laughs> uh, started a, a foundation uh, about awareness of diabetes. So hooray for him there. Um, and then, yeah, 1938 uh, was the War of the Worlds broadcast um, that Orson Welles did. It was in 38? 38. Yeah, eight years before. Uh, eight years before. H.G. Wells died. So he was alive while it happened. Oh, are there any accounts of his uh, opinion 
on the piece. Um, it shouldn't be lost on us or on the, the listener that their both of their last names were Wells. Yeah. Um, they're not them, related. One of them has an E, like two E's. Yeah. Uh, that being Orson. Um, this is off of Wikipedia. H.G. Uh, Wells and Orson Wells met for the first and only time in October of 1940, so two years later after the broadcast. Uh, shortly before the second anniversary of the Mercury Theater broadcast, they were both lecturing in San Antonio, Texas. Two men visited KTSA studio for an interview by Charles C. Shaw, who introduced them by characterizing the panic generated by the War of the Worlds. Wells was skeptic about the actual event of the panic caused by this sensational Halloween spree, saying, are you sure there was such a panic in America, or wasn't it your Halloween fun? Wells replied, Orson Wells replied, that it's supposed to show the corrupt condition and decadent state of affairs and democracy that the War of the Worlds went over as well as it did. That's what Orson Welles was saying? Yeah. A lot of people definitely died, right? No one died. You know who did die? H.G. Wells died. Yeah. Not, not from that. Um, it, was fr- it was from the diabetes. Complications from it. Um, but he got cremated. Uh, he's uh, by the English Channel. Uh, and there's a plaque uh, there that says... Uh, I told you so, you damned fools. Is that what it says? Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. I'm glad he's so on the he's, cover. He's basically the, uh, it's like a river. The channel? Yeah. So he's that. He's just that channel now. Because they put his remains in there and then put a plaque there. Yeah. He's floating and sinking. When I die. Swimming. Doing little tumble I want to be cremated. But I want to have my remains... On the cover of My Time ashes. Magazine? No, 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 no. I want them to be flown out to uh, Hollywood. That way they can be uh, scattered all over someone's face in a romantic comedy mishap. <laughs> well, I've typed it into the computer here, and we have um, what is left of the, the script to... Island of Dr. Monroe. What is left of it? Yeah. Oh. What's well, lost to the the ashes of time? So there was a full screenplay. Of at course. At some point. Of course okay. there was, yeah. Title I, The Island. Of Dr. Monroe. Interior, Dr. Monroe's lab, night. The lab is dimly lit, filled with strange scientific equipment and vials of mysterious substances. Dr. Monroe, a brilliant but eccentric scientist, stands before a massive machine humming with power. At last, the perfect creation. She pulls a lever, and the machine springs to life. The sound of electricity crackling fills the room. Inside the machine, we catch a glimpse of a shimmering, human-like figure taking shape. Exterior, isolated island, day. A secluded island, shrouded in fog and mystery. A boat approaches the shore, carrying Oliver, a curious journalist, and Alex, a seasoned sailor. What kind of place is this? It feels eerie. 
I've heard stories about this island, lad. It's said that Dr. Monroe conducts strange experiments here. Experiments? Like what? Rumor has it that he creates... Wait, hold on. Rumor has it that she creates clones of the iconic Marilyn Monroe. Oliver chuckles, thinking it's just a wild tale. Interior, Dr. Monroe's lab, continuous. Oliver and Alex sneak into the lab, witnessing the bizarre sight of several Marilyn Monroe clones being tended to by robotic assistants. I don't believe it. These are real, living clones. We shouldn't be here. Let's get out. Before they can leave, Dr. Monroe appears, blocking their escape. Ah, welcome to my sanctuary, gentlemen. I see you've discovered my creation. This is madness. Cloning Marilyn Monroe? Why? Marilyn Monroe was an icon of beauty and grace. By creating her clones, I can share her beauty with the world, immortalizing her essence forever. Who is me? Because I'm Marilyn Monroe. At what cost? These are living beings, not mere objects. They are the epitome of perfection, my life's work. And you, Oliver, could be the one to document it for all history. No, I won't be a part of this. Dr. Monroe becomes enraged and orders his robotic assistants to capture Oliver and Alex. Interior, Dr. Monroe's lab, later. Oliver and Alex are locked in a cell, surrounded by the Marilyn Monroe clones. We have to stop him, Alex. This madness must end. I agree. But how? We'll expose her. Show the world what she's doing here. We'll bring down the curtain. (laughs) Dr. Monroe's twisted experiments. Exterior, isolated island, night. Oliver and Alex manage to break free and make their way back to the shore. The fog thickens around them as they head towards the boat. Interior, Dr. Monroe's lab continuous. Dr. Monroe realizes the escape and pursues them on her robotic minions. Hmm. With her robotic minions. It'd be funny if they were water, you know, boats. Like they double as water boats. What if she just was riding on like a hovercraft that had the fans that, you know... But, like, it's just blowing her skirt up while she's riding it. I can see it. Exterior, isolated, island night. Oliver and Alex reach the boat just in time, but Dr. Monroe and her robots catch up to them. You will not leave here alive. Your reign of unethical science ends now, Dr. Monroe. A dramatic confrontation ensues with the clones assisting Oliver and Alex in overcoming the robots. Dr. Monroe is finally cornered. You can't understand the brilliance of my work. Your work may be brilliant, but it's also inhumane. Cloning people against their will is not progress. It's a violation of their rights. The Marilyn Monroe clones surround Dr. Monroe, seemingly empathetic towards her despite her actions. We may look like her, 
But we are more than just clones. We have our own thoughts, feelings, and desires. You treated us as objects, but we are as human as you are. Feeling a pang of remorse, Dr. Monroe realizes the depth of her wrongdoing. I never intended for this to happen. I lost myself in my obsession. The clones comfort Dr. Monroe as Oliver and Alex radio for authorities to come to the island. Exterior, isolated island, morning. Authorities arrive, taking Dr. Monroe into custody and arranging for the clones' proper care. At least they have a chance at a real life now. True, but it's a shame Dr. Monroe couldn't see the beauty of it in each individual life I've created. As the boat sails away from the island, Oliver and Alex reflect on the consequences of unchecked ambition and the importance of treating all beings with respect and dignity. Fade out. I have no idea what happened in that story. No. Who who's Oliver and Alex? Why is Oliver a fisherman? I mean, why is Alex a fisherman? Uh he he has the boat. And Oliver is just a journalist, I guess. That's oh, my okay. take. He, he needed to get to the island. So Oliver hired a fisherman to take him cuz he had the boat, maybe. Are these characters from the original story? I don't know. I haven't read it or seen it. Have you ever seen the movie The Time Machine? No. You've never seen The Time Machine? I've read the book like three times. That movie is so crazy. I feel like I could still watch it like, and be actually entertained by it. Was it like in the 2000s? No. It was in the 60s. Oh, no. Don't even know about that. Yeah. There's these like little creatures called Morlocks. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think they were just little people that they They're the hired ones that to live un- under the ground. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But they were like all blue, I think, and they had long, scraggly hair, and their eyes were fake. Like their whole faces were fake, but they were just like little people running around, uh, if I remember correctly. But like he's punching them and just beating the shit out of them because they're so small. Uh, and then and then there's like an Indiana Jones face melting moment. Uh, which is pretty awesome, but like instead of the face like actually melting and there being blood and skull and everything, it's rotting because he's traveling through time with like one of the Morlocks is like knocked unconscious, but like on the time like in the time machine while he's taking it back into the future, mm. and it's just like just like rotting away, and there's maggots. It's pretty tight that movie. In the book, it talks about when he first goes into the machine and turns it on. And the description of it is it's fantastic. It, it like speeds up and it, it becomes day and night so fast that it's like a strobe light effect. And then like that sort of becomes still. But you just see things grow and die. and That's what happens in the movie. spiral hits 88 
<laughs> rounds per minute. You're going to see some You're going to see some shit. serious shit. You know what was smart about H.G. Wells that was not smart about Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis is that they took Marty McFly 30 years in the future, whereas H.G. Wells was like, we're going 100 million gazillion years into the future. Like, the main events of that story take place, like, a gazillion years into the future. There are so many zeros. I don't remember what the exact year was, but there was, like, at least, like, 16 zeros. (laughs) So it can never be proven wrong. No. (laughs) He's like, just wait. Trust me. No, 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 it's cool. So do you think he he uh, time-traveled himself? Um, there's a film called Time After Time if you're that lost. posits that question. Oh. Uh, it's about H.G. Wells actually having the time machine that he wrote about and telling a bunch of his friends in a similar fashion that happens in the story The Time Machine, but, like, he's telling his friends... No, I made this thing. And all of his friends are like, ah, it's a gag, kind of like in the story of the time machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of his friends happens to be Jack Cindy the Ripper. Lauper. He's Jack the Ripper. He doesn't know he's Jack the Ripper because he's just a respected doctor. And uh, But he's like, secretly, he's Jack the Ripper. Because I think canonically, Jack the Ripper was a doctor. Mm-hmm. That sounds right from the From Hell movie. I think he Spoiler. was I think he was believed to be a doctor. So like in the movie, he's friends with Jack the Ripper, but he doesn't know it's Jack the Ripper. And Jack the Ripper ends up taking the time machine, but HG Wells has like a watch that will always bring him to like where the time machine is or something. It was something like that. So he ends up following Jack the Ripper into present day 1980s New York. Hmm. And okay. hilarity ensues. Mary Steenburgen is in it. <laughs> so she's in at least two time travel movies. Who would we replace H.G. Wells with on the cover? Doc Brown. Doc Brown. Perfect. Before we forget and move on to the next, the next uh, episode here, we have uh, corrections to do and uh, make up for lost, missing information. Uh, a couple episodes back, we talked about Wallace Berman. Remember yeah, Wallace the Berman? Burmeister, the, the collage artist, the the, the collagier. Yeah, we never replaced him. We got so excited talking about Marilyn Monroe. Well, he invented zines, right? Uh, and evidently, yeah. So yeah, he invented like the, the zine. Chat books, you know. Big uh, user of the uh, Kodak uh, copy machine. 
Really put it through its paces. Mm. Killed a lot of trees. A lot of good trees died that day, Dan. A lot of good trees down. And he was a collage artist? What if we just make it the actual Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album cover? Since it in itself is a collage. I like this. Like a like a thumbnail of it. Yeah. Brilliant. That's a collage. Yeah, I like that a whole lot. And then that makes the picture recursive. It never ends. It really well, doesn't end. Well, it would. No, it wouldn't. Well, is it going to be of the 1967 cover or the one that we're making? Um, I think it would have to be this one. The original. Yeah. Oh, okay. Or if it's just one of Well, why can't it be the one that w- we're making? And then oh. it'll just go on forever and ever and ever. I like that in forever perpetuity. and ever. Or, or they could alternate. You could look at the one and it could be the real one. Because, like, when you, you know, it's like ours, right? You imagine looking at ours, and as you're bringing it close to your face, you look at the original one. That's like, you know, on the spot that it should be. Mm-hmm. And as that gets close to your face and you zoom in on that little one, you see ours on that one spot. It's just ours. It's just there for some reason on the original cover. And then you keep zooming, keep zooming, keep zooming. And then the original cover is on that spot again. And it just keeps keeps going and going and going like a fractal. You yeah, know, it just sure. keeps branching off new branches that branch off the same thing over and over again. It's, it's and a really great space for it, too. Leo Gorsi's never there. <laughs> never. Never, never. I belong to this uh, Facebook group called the Bowery Boys Depreciation Society. That's a malaprop for Appreciation Society. Uh, You know, sort of an in-joke, because Leo Gorsi was known for using a lot of malaprops because he couldn't talk good. Just like uh, Oliver Hardy. Well, no, (laughs) the other one. Stan Laurel? Yeah, Stan Laurel Laurel would screw up his words a lot, too. But um, on this... On this page, I post the question uh, as to, like, why, if anyone had, like, some uncommon knowledge that I was doing this podcast, I just wanted to know if anyone had any, like, rationale for why he wouldn't want to do that. Um, I was like, did he did he hate the Beatles? Did he just not realize how big they were? Was he destitute? And this one guy answered me. He said, my guess, none of the above. Leo was a smart businessman, and he had a chip on his shoulder. He fashioned the deal with Monogram, and it was a good deal for him. Otherwise, he would have ended up another broke comic working for someone else, like Abbott and Costello or the Three Stooges prior to their late career 60s comeback. I'm sure Leo got offers from time to time, and his standard response would have been, Okay, how much? In this case, when told, nothing, but just think of the exposure of being in a Beatles album. It wouldn't surprise me if Leo said, Exposure? A guy could die from ammonia from exposure. Call me back with a fee. Tell the mop flops to cough up a sawbuck each. And then hung up. 
Tell the mop tops. To cough up a sawbuck each. Sawbuck each. I don't know what a sawbuck is, but I guess Leo Gorsi would have... Sounds like $100. All right. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool, though. I mean, maybe he wouldn't give a crap. Maybe if he was here now... There's how many people on the cover? I'm going to see me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm all the way in the back. (laughs) If it's just me, well, then maybe. He's also in the back row. Oh, on the top row? Yeah. The back row, you mean. Not the top row. The back back row. row. Yeah. Next to Hunts Hall? (laughs) Hunts Hall should be behind me, not next to me. Next week, we, we dive back into the Eastern mysticism and... Not really mysticism, but the Eastern spirituality with Sri Paramahansa Yogananda. Well, we need to confirm that with a white British man on YouTube. We do. We'll do that. And then we'll see you next week. Um, Sergeant Pepper's on the Hearts Club Band Good Time Podcast. Podcast